Welcome to Explain to Shane. I'm your host, Shane Tews at the American Enterprise Institute. On this podcast, I interview tech industry experts to explain how the apps, services, and structures of today's information technology system work and how they shape our social and economic life. While the $52 billion of federal spending in the Chips for America Act have strong bipartisan support, it's caught in a larger congressional fight between the two legislative chambers over an attempt to reconcile the bill with other Democratic spending priorities. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has built a coalition against the larger bill to stop the legislation from passing unless it proceeds exclusively on the investment of semiconductors. Secretary of Commerce Gina Raimondo has also agreed that the CHIPS Act should be passed on its own as soon as possible. For the semiconductor chip manufacturing companies who are considering new investments in U.S. chip manufacturing, as well as educational opportunities to train semiconductor chip engineers, what has this kerfuffle meant? Do we risk losing an opportunity to incentivize chip production in America if this legislation doesn't pass soon? To discuss this important topic, my AEI colleague Claude Barfield and I talked to Peter Cleveland and John Hoganson. Peter is Vice President of Global Government Affairs at Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Corporation, or TSMC, the world's largest contract semiconductor company, where he directs policy, legislative, legal, and regulatory affairs. Peter was previously Vice President and Deputy General Counsel at Intel and worked for Senator Charles Robb and Dianne Feinstein. John is a Corporate Vice President of Government Relations at Advanced Micro Devices, Inc., or AMD. John previously managed the government affairs of Micron Technologies and was a policy director for the House Democratic Caucus. As the CHIPS Act hangs in the balance, this conversation aims to clarify where the industry and government stands and what potential paths forward we could see in the coming weeks. Peter and John, welcome to Explain to Shane. It's so good to talk to you guys. I haven't seen you guys in a while. Secretary of Commerce Gina Raimondo um, reiterated in the news just recently in this past week the importance of addressing the critical shortage of semiconductor chips. And definitely, we, we heard a lot about this on supply chain management during COVID, but it was already kind of a, a, an oncoming problem before that. And we have, we've been watching the, this legislative challenge that while the CHIPS Act for America, which has strong bipartisan support, um, is caught in a larger fight between the two legislative chambers over an attempt to reconcile some U.S. initiative in the Comprehend, sorry, the Competition Act and the American Competes Act. So I know um, uh, Senate Majority Leader McConnell has threatened to, to you know, maybe take some of this out. There's the FABS Act that we're looking at. Uh, as one, um, you know, Democratic leaders are also saying they may be weighing a path towards breaking the CHIPS funding off from uh, broader legislation and passing it as a standalone bill. And then as one recent news article said, this seems like something everybody in the U.S. wants the nation to be a semiconductor powerhouse, but no one actually wants to pay for it. So can you just give us the lay of the land as you're living this moment by moment? Uh, sure, sure, Shane. This is Peter at TSMC, and I'd be happy to start. First of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm longtime friends and tech colleagues with you. Absolutely. And uh, you've been fantastic company for decades. Um, so TSMC is optimistic and hopeful about the legislative jigsaw puzzle being solved soon. Um, the Republican leaders and the Democratic leaders in the House and Senate may have some political differences, but substantively, I think they all agree that restoring U.S. leadership in domestic chip manufacturing is critical. They all agree that lifting the innovative capacity of the country is critical. And um, the steps that we're trying to take to invest leading edge 
uh, chip fabrication in Phoenix at a five nanometer level are consistent with what the leaders are trying to accomplish. So laying the politics aside, substantively and legislatively, I think we're headed in the right direction. And hopefully by the end of July or August, we can get a bill passed off the Hill and that Joe Biden can sign into law. That's great. John, any additional thoughts, sir? Yeah, well, uh, first of all, uh, John Hoganson with AMD. Shane, again, good to see you. Um, thanks for having us this morning. Um, I fully agree with what Peter said. You know, I think that from an AMD perspective, at least, you know, getting Chips Act fully funded, um, getting it across the finish line is critical to the, to the future of um, semiconductor manufacturing in the United States. Um, it's also critical to U.S. leadership from a technology perspective. Um, and so, you know, we're hopeful that something will happen here really quickly. Um, we're, you know, it passed in, in June of last year through the Senate, the, the USICA bill. So we'd love to see something sooner rather than later. Um, you know, I think there is consensus that this has to happen. Um, but to your point, Shane, um, it's, it's interesting. That we just can't seem to get it across the finish line in terms of, you know, the actual paying, you know, paying the check, if you will, on what this takes going forward. But, you know, I think that one thing that is sort of missing in the, the conversation is it's more than just manufacturing. It's about restoring the overall semiconductor ecosystem in the United States. So AMD is a, a fabulous design company. We're focused on um, developing the next generation of leading, chi uh, leading chips. And then we partner with companies like TSMC, uh, Global Foundries, and others to, to manufacture our products at the end of the day. Um, it's a very complex supply chain. Um, and the U.S., by sort of falling behind on the manufacturing side, is really um, losing a big piece of that. And so we really need to restore that. But it's also about the research and development. The National Semiconductor Technology Center is part of this. Um, funding that and building that, that idea out is it's critical to not only you know, making the chips here, but making sure that the next generation of leading-edge technology is developed here in the United States. My uh, colleague, Claude Barfield, who's joining us today, and I have had a couple of different podcasts about, you know, the industrial policy element of this. And as Commerce Secretary uh, Raimondo warned without this funding from Congress, she said, we might lose the key silicon wafer factory, the global wafer that has been pledged in Texas. I know, as, as Peter just mentioned, you're looking at Arizona. There's there's one, um, you know, in, in New York that's, that's getting a lot of attention. So do you think her prediction is accurate that we may be losing the these initiatives if we don't put the funding forward? And how does that specifically um, impact both your companies? Shane and Claude, um, we are diversifying and expanding our global footprint uh, away from Taiwan uh, in Japan, considering Europe, and certainly Phoenix is a critical place for us to manufacture. Uh, we specialize in leading bleeding edge chips, the fastest in terms of performance, thermal energy efficiency, transistor density, gigahertz speed. It's incredibly expensive to build these wafer fabs. And Japan and Europe are also interested uh, in us constructing there. What she's talking about is um, if we can't partner effectively with Congress and the US government in terms of appropriate incentives, then we have to uh, look elsewhere to get support for the capital expenditure burden. And the United States leads the free world and that shouldn't happen, that's untenable. And we need to restore leading bleeding edge manufacturing here. And so we're close, 
uh, we're close with the Congress in terms of working out some details. But what Gina Raimondo is talking about is let's let's get this done now. Again, I would agree with Peter. I, I also think that this is about investing in the future of the industry um, and investing in the future of, of um, U.S. technology leadership. You know, overall, um, you know, I think people get caught up a little bit in the price tag, and, and these are big numbers. I'm not undermining that a, at all. Um, but it's an ex- incredibly expensive industry. Peter can talk more to this, but his capital expenditure is um, annually is significantly higher than the G- GDP of a lot of countries. Right? Um, that's what it takes to be competitive. Um, that's what it takes going forward. Um, and the U.S. has to decide um, if it wants to continue to lead in industry like semiconductors or not. And if it does, um, it's going to take a partnership between the U.S. government and industry going forward. And that's ultimately what this is about. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of things that we do, we do because they're important for, for great nations to do. Um, and this is one of those in terms of leading in technology you know, going forward. I think back to the direct question, you know, will companies decide not to come here if we don't have uh, a CHIPS Act or you know, fully funded? Um, I think that's a distinct possibility. Um, and what does that mean to a company like, like AMD? Um, you know, it means that we have to look at different options to, to source our products. We'd love to, to source products um, domestically. And we do in companies like Global Founders in upstate New York, but we're limited. There's no leading edge uh, manufacturing in the United States. Uh, so, you know, Peter's company's TSMC is going to be building in Arizona. I'd love to utilize that facility when it comes online. Um, but there is currently no five nanometer uh, manufacturing in the United States and no U.S. company capable of producing a five nanometers. Um, and that's really, really important um, for a company like us, a company like NVIDIA, a company like Qualcomm, Apple, uh, you kind of all, every company that's on the leading edge, uh, we need that advanced uh, manufacturing capability. I always remind people everything with an on switch has a chip. Exactly. <laughs> I wonder where they are. Uh, Claude, let's bring, bring you into this conversation. Yeah, I have a couple of questions. Uh, one is, is probably not going to be that, that relevant if, as, you, as most people think, that you guys are going to get somehow the chip sack will, will get, get passed either individually as an individual piece of legislation or as a part of a larger. But one of the things that uh, one of the reasons that uh, particularly Romando and the government have pushed is this whole business of computer shortages. And if you pass the bill in the next week or so, this won't make much difference. But if this were to go over, it looks as like, at least in, in some aspects of chip production, the shortage is going away. And so this has led, I don't know whether you read it or not, but the technology analyst for the New York Times has said the whole thing was a mistake, that the shortage was a, you know, a kind of pumped up nor- just a short-term thing, and it's, it is not going to be a problem in the future. How would you answer that? I have a f- follow-up on other things, but uh, just to start with that. Sure. In the high-performance compute space, uh, Claude, uh, for applications uh, in the areas of artificial intelligence, uh, net networking, say virtual reality, augmented reality, uh, AV, autonomous vehicles, digital currencies, digital healthcare, um, demand vastly outstrips supply. There's uh, a lighter, uh, there's a transition underway in laptops and uh, uh, desktop types of uh, devices as people return to work and are using uh, those types of personal devices less at home. But I think you were referring to Shira's piece in the yes. New York Times. Uh, and uh, I'm a good friend of Shira's, and I did speak with her afterwards. And 
overall thesis is in, incorrect. The most important part of establishing advanced fabrication here onshore in the United States is to take the great design innovations from companies like AMD. They design that chip uh, for all these uh, purposes, whether it's a CPU or a GPU, and then we make it for AMD. And we need to lead in these uh, in these new generation spaces and applications, particularly artificial intelligence. The ingenuity at AMD is amazing. Uh, they send us software and then we create the digital engine for AMD. And that's the partnership that needs to occur in the United States. What Raimondo has said, final point, is that all of that advanced manufacturing now is occurring mostly in Taiwan with TSMC, and that's what we need to change. We need to bring that on short. But there are going to be, uh, I, I think some of the subsidy here and in other countries is gonna go for, for plants that are not uh, the most advanced chips. And how does that compare in terms of what the priority should be with the kind of chips that you've been, the two of you have been talking about, understandably, because that's where, that's where you live. Uh, but the French have just, as you know, uh, agreed to subsidize the plant, which is, look, I think, from what I read, uh, is just going to be for automobile chips, which are less advanced. And what about that combination? How does one decide what kind of chip plant makes sense for a particular country? You know, from our perspective, you know, the calculus around this hasn't changed regardless of the, the chip shortage. I mean, I think it's important to remember that the CHIPS Act passed as part of National Defense Authorization Act before the chips shortage really became a thing. Um, and so for us, it was always about economic and national security. For us, it was always about rebuilding that ecosystem here in the United States um, so that we had leading edge uh, manufacturing, but really the whole ability to produce you know, a spectrum. What we like to talk about is sort of a minimum viable capacity in the United States about what we need um, to do to produce a, a bare minimum of thresh, threshold of products in the United States to meet everything from national security needs to some economic security. That doesn't mean we make every single iPhone here in the United States. We at least have the ability to make an iPhone in the United States, which we currently don't have. Um, that's what it was always about from an AMV perspective, was rebuilding that ecosystem um, and not so much the short-term um, chip shortage. Um, would that potentially alleviate some of that? Maybe. Um, but for us, it was always about, um, you know, again, rebuilding that the semiconductor ecosystem um, in the United States. So I think the chip shortage became sort of, you know, the narrative that kind of helped push this forward. But for most of us, it was really more about um, getting leading edge, but rebuilding that ecosystem overall. I'll address your point, Claude. Uh, I think you ask yeah. a good question and you're spot on. And we should address the concerns of the car uh, OEMs, original equipment makers, and the medical device makers by building out fabrication here on shore. And you can do that through the allocation process, assuming the CHIPS Act gets passed. We're focusing on high performance compute on the leading bleeding edge at 5432 nanometer. But your point is extremely well taken. The needs of those critical industries in the US need to be met and other companies can do that. And that will be uh, the job of Gina Raimondo once she gets that money to allocate properly. It might be Texas Instruments in Richardson, Texas, they're building. It might be Cree up in north of Syracuse, they're building a facility. Certainly a fine company like Global Foundries, a, a, a massive, well-known, iconic company like Intel, each of the fabricators, each of the uh, chip manufacturers can specialize in certain areas, but those needs of those critical U.S. industries should be met as well. 
Uh, one final question. Um, you may have seen this coming. As you know, Morris Chang's piece or his interview with the Brookings has been widely uh, cited. And the point that he made that it was just so much, much more expensive to produce here and that TSMC could do it because they just, <laughs> that you just make a lot of profits so you could absorb this. But looking to the future with companies that may not be able to do that, are we looking at uh, over time continual subsidies for production in the United States? Now I know this would vary by the kind of chip, but the point is, is it more expensive? Is it gonna to continue to be more expensive? And if the United States government gets into it, will it not just be the upfront money to help either you or Intel or, or whoever to construct the plant, but it'll be a continue, it'll be a push for a continuing subsidy to keep things here? Well, uh, Morris Chang is a brilliant, iconic figure. He created a segment in the ecosystem. He, this man created a pure play, dedica pure play dedicated foundry segment. And that has uh, changed the industry because um, that's all we do. We just make the engines, we don't design uh, products. So he is, his contribution has been enormous. Uh, the cost structure here is higher. I think Morris noted that in terms of inputs and material costs and labor and things like that. Um, that's why the incentives become important to help us uh, land uh, fairly and appropriately in Phoenix. We, we're spending most of the money at 75, 80%, which will have a catalytic impact on high-tech, high-wage jobs, thousands and thousands of them that we create. Uh, will surge economic development, will create a massive uh, supply ecosystem around us, but it's, ex it's expensive. And that's what Morris was comment, commenting on. Your, your thought about a permanent subsidy, I don't, I don't anticipate that. Uh, a tax credit though works uh, that would be permanent because what it does is uh, it continually incentivizes the build out of manufacturing uh, over time. And that'll be up to lawmakers to decide if they mm -hmm. get a bang for the buck. Do they get a bang for the buck? Is there a rate of return for them that's very, very good from a tax credit? I think the answer from that will be yes. Thanks. Alden, I had another uh, interview we did in March with Carl Winberg, who um, is an economist, and, and he had some, he'd written a, a very good paper, but he had a really interesting perspective that I hadn't thought about on the education and training, that it's a longer time continuum to learn how to work in a semiconductor, uh, as a as semiconductor engineer versus um, software developers. And he said, you know, because you have, a, you have a longer tail for the education, and then you don't make as much money, candidly, is like, you know, just running out and starting to do apps and do software developing. And so it's part of the challenge is also just getting enough, uh, you know, personnel and workforce in that pipeline. Is that something that you guys are, are addressing as well as we're looking at the physical locations? Workforce is certainly a big issue for, for AMD um, and getting talent it's sort of a global war for talent um, in our industry. We are competing with the likes of um, some of our customers, the Apples, the Amazons of the world, um, you know, the, the Metas, the Facebooks. Um, 
uh, we're, we're competing for talent with them. No question about that. And it's, it's not easy. It's not an easy field to be in, but back to the legislation. And there is, you know, a big component of that is workforce development. We think that's critical. Um, that's why we're supportive of the larger, uh, you seek a bipartisan innovation act, whatever we want to call it because of the workforce training components that are in there, but we have to invest in our university in infrastructure. We have to be investing in the workforce, uh, back on this question about cost. That's, that's part of the reason it is, um, less expensive in places like Taiwan and other places to manufacture because they have the, the workforce. We have that, that's part of this ecosystem question is rebuilding the workforce here in the United States, um, incentivizing people to be in the industry, to want to be here. Um, you know, I, I will say, um, I'm not sure how much the Google, Googles of the world pay, but, you know, we do pay well in this industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, it's, it's a great place to be. Um, and you're doing really exciting, innovative work at the, at the same time. But, uh, but definitely, there is a need to rebuild the workforce. Considering fabs never close, I imagine there's somebody always has to be there. <laughs> yeah. I'll drop the, I'll drop the footnote, um, Shane, that uh, I agree with John's comments. Software design uh, engineering is very appealing and high paying. It's, uh, e- it's probably easier for AMD to recruit the AMDs and the Apples of the world that do the design uh, on the front end on a software basis versus a process design engineer at a semiconductor plant. Um, it's less sexy, less appealing. And I think there's a distinction between the companies. and. The reason, another reason to come to the United States is the STEM talent pool here is magnificent. It's the best in the world from Carnegie Mellon to Arizona State University to Caltech to institutions across the country. And we're really, really focused on trying to get them on the line working for us at our wafer fab. But there's a distinction among the companies and a company that's so uh, incredible like AMD, the design software, they, they, uh, their challenges uh, are similar to ours, but um, I think on the, in the hardware space for us, it's, it, it is tough. It is, it is very tough. Hopefully it'll be one of the many things that get worked out if, you know, if and when we finally see this, these pieces of legislation come together and get it signed by the president. The other thing that has been in the news recently after everybody got very concerned about supply chain and chips is they, there's been a little bit of a relief on the market. Um, so it, it, are you seeing some of the supply chain Kind of kinks in our uh, smoothing out as you know people have adjusted to what they weren't expecting in 20 and 21. I mean, are, we, are you getting a little bit of relief? Or are you still under the enormous pressure that you were in the last two years? Uh, yes, inventory times are shortening, and we're smoothing out supply chain kinks as best we can. Demand still outstrips supply in certain process nodes and certain segments, but we work assiduously. Uh, with those who are short. Uh, weekly, we have a list of a com- companies that are in dire need, and we surgically try to help them as best we can. But overall, uh, we we do see the supply, supply chain resiliency improving. So as I know, we're all going to be watching what's going on in Congress this, this next month. Um, is there anything else you suggest that our listeners keep an eye out for? Well, I think there's the, I think there's this question about you know what does the final bill look like. Um, I think there are a lot of these. It'd be great to see the Chips Act fully funded. Um, you know, Peter mentioned the Fabs Act. Um, we'd love to see you know the, the a, a 
a tax credit that helps both manufacturing and design, you know, move forward. I, I think there is this piece you mentioned too about workforce and, and the research agenda as a whole. We can't sort of lose track of that. I think seeing that funded, I think, is critically important um, to the industry. Again, you know, this isn't sort of a, uh, you know, there's no silver bullet here. It's going to be, you know, many pieces to to get this done, to, re to rebuild the ecosystem for semiconductors overall. Um, and we're going to have to invest in all of those. So, you know, even if we're able to get the CHIPS Act funded, um, there's more that comes along with that, um, you know, more engagement between private industry and the government to, to build this out. And so we're hoping to see that all play out. We'd love to see, you know, a larger package rather than a smaller, but if we can get the smaller package, it's a great start. And then we kind of build it out mm -hmm. from there. I was just going to add, Shane, that uh, the bipartisanship uh, on chips for the past two years has been excellent. There have been heroic figures from John Cornyn to Mike Crapo to Mike McCall to Todd Young uh, that uh, will help us get this across the line. And um, so from President Trump to Joe Biden, uh, the past couple of years, I think we've seen uh, both sides uh, come together. And if we can solve some of these, some of these smaller, naughtier problems uh this is a this will be a great success and it's good it'll be good for the country it'll be good for the innovative capacity of the united states of america it's, it's a great place to to think think about every time i turn something on i'll think about one of one of your chips you got, gentlemen mm -hmm. thank you so much for being a guest today on explain to shane i really appreciate it thank you thank you shane You're thank welcome. you Claude. okay thank you thank you for listening to another episode of explain to shane for more episodes, subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your preferred listening platform. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and tell your friends and colleagues to tune in. We'll see you on the next episode of Explain to Shane.